Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award-winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free, and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details. Um, but mate, excited to see what you're doing and where you're going to go and um, all, all that's going to happen in the future. Thanks for having me on, Unless Podcast. It's actually not bad. <laughs> it's really good, bro. Well done. <laughs> Thank you, brother. And we're back, folks. Another episode of the Unlaced Podcast. Again, before we start, always just want to thank our subscribers, our listeners, everyone who's sharing around the podcast. It's the way we grow. The heart and soul of the podcast, I tell you. So thank you so much. Gee, today I'm excited. Bruce Jitte. <laughs> How are you, my man? I didn't think I was that exciting anymore. <laughs> oh, you are. You if are. You're excited, bro. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Well, I tell you why, because you are the director of football at Adelaide United at the age of 34, which is impressive in itself. But for those that know me and know Bruce, we played together. Once uh, upon a time. Once upon a time, which almost 10 years ago now, which is kind of ridiculous to say, but um, for a couple of seasons at Adelaide. So we do go way back. Um, we haven't actually caught up in a while, so I'm keen to hear yeah. how you're going, bro. Yeah, it's good to catch up with you. Yeah, what, what have you been up to? What's What's been happening in your world? Bought a house recently. Probably the worst time in the history to buy, but... In Adelaide or Sydney? Adelaide, yeah. Hey. Uh, um... What else has been happening? That's significant, obviously. What else has been happening? What else has been happening? Not a great deal. Obviously, the the, the job's busy. It's always busy. A uh, range of things that, that come up every day. So that's been entertaining. The team's doing well. That's been enjoyable. Um, it's been a good season so far. Family's all good. Oh, good. Yeah. You've got two kids, little ones kids, running around. I'm sure they're are, keeping you busy. Kids are all good, bro. That's the, <laughs> that's the most important part. Oh, good. So. Yeah, it's been a good period. Now you've transitioned into this suit, everyday suit guy kind of life, yeah. which was inevitable for you. Anyone knows you playing football, you're always going to end up in a suit one way or another. But I think I wore out all my tracksuits. <laughs> you I, did. I wore nothing but You were suits. renowned for grey on grey, <laughs> which is a criminal act in most people's books. But Bruce was the king of turning up into a change room <laughs> with a grey jumper and grey trackies. <laughs> I just wore whatever Nike gave me. They gave me a lot uh, of good stuff. Plug. Plug to Nike. But no, in all seriousness, how, how are you feeling about the team? So you've been in the role now for, for almost a couple of years. Obviously came at a time where a lot of change was happening with Adelaide and you brought in a philosophy that was kind of pre-built a little bit before you, but emphasising youth and obviously good quality culture and people in and around the club. Are you happy with this season? How are you going? Currently third or fourth on the ladder. Must be must be pretty positive to see that. Yeah, I think it's been a good season. We're really starting to see the fruits of our labour, if you like. You know, the the squad's always been really good. You know, since since I came in, the the, the playing group's always been really tight knit, really good environment. Um, it was important to to action a few things, bring the youth team close to the A League team. Yes, there were youth players coming through, but there was a huge disconnect between the youth and the A-League team. Um, and also, you know, to emphasise the women's game. Mm. You know, the, the women have been fantastic. Uh, this year especially, they've had more attention on them. Um, that's, been, that's been done purposefully. Uh, the, the, the club really, you know, celebrates and, and, and really appreciates all the work that our W-League girls do. I think that's been a huge success this year, although they did just miss out on finals. Yeah, but, the, yeah. but their broader impact was, was felt far and wide. 
Um, so, look, I think the football program, obviously, Carl Veard's come in, Ross Eloisi's there, uh, Eugene's uh, back as well. So Spirit of the club, right? Pre, yeah. we've, got, we've got real good spirit now. And you've been in South Australia, you know, you were in Adelaide for a few years and you now parochial they are down there. So, you know, the philosophy of the club, it's all well and good. And we came when I came in, you know, very early on, we started talking about young players building our own, all the rest of it. Still a long way to go. You know, there's there's still a lot we can improve on. But I think now, well, I know now, people are starting to realise what we said we were going to do, we're actually actioning. And now people, what I hear, what I, what I see is that they want to, it's starting to become somewhat of a destination club. Definitely. Because I, I feel... And this is probably a little bit for some fans as well, but looking on the outside, there was probably a few knockers on Adelaide, <clears throat> excuse me, coming into the season with some of the young players you had, emphasising a lot of young players in the starting 11 for one, right? Because people go, well, kids can't win anything. And if you're going to have kids, you've got to have good experience around them, which I think you've got a really good balance of. But can you break down, I guess, the season thus far for, for some of the Adelaide faithful and myself, and particularly coming into finals, that promotion of youth, do you actually think that's actually really elevated you guys this year in your performance? I think you can do both. I don't think you, I don't think you either win the league or develop young players. I, I think you can definitely do both, you know, anyone who doesn't think so. Why do you think there's a stigma with that, though? Why do you think there's a perception that you can't do both? Because... I couldn't tell you, man. This game's full of opinions and everyone's an expert, especially when you're not winning, you know. Um, there was a period earlier in the season when we weren't winning and it was, you know, Carl's subs are problematic and we need a midfielder, you know, we need centre-backs, we need strikers, we need this, we need... Everyone's a super coach mm. when you're not winning, you know. Yeah, that. yeah. Whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, whether you're in sports <coughs> administration, you know, they're all experts when, when things aren't going well. Um, but, again, my job isn't whether the team wins or loses next weekend or tonight or tomorrow... Uh, it's more to be a gatekeeper of the club and to make sure that through all the trials and tribulations, the ups and the downs, that we stay on the same path and we stay on a consistent path and I see through sort of medium to longer term progress of the club and, and I don't think anyone in their right mind, you know, there'll be people who knock it, but mm. no one in their right mind would say that, you know, what we are doing hasn't been relatively successful and no one would say that we haven't done what we said we were going to do. Yeah. Right. And I think with the financial uh, um, ability that we have, which is much less than than a lot of other clubs, everyone knows Adelaide and Adelaide United has been like this since day dot. We always punch above our ways. Correct. Um, but I think we're we're doing fantastically well, and that's down to the staff. And the players. Yeah. I think as well what's impressive is you have a lot of young players in key positions too, like through the spine from centre-back, midfield, goalkeeper, playing up front. Usually usually when we've seen young players do well in the A-League in the past is when they're playing out wide or, or they're getting blooded into a different position to suit a team. But that's what I think has been most impressive about your team. I mean, Stefan Mao, quite young to be a captain at a club. Um, I also think part of this philosophy stems a little bit maybe from the Spanish influence that came at the club, but also like people that know you, you've made your impact at Adelaide as an 18, 19 year old. And you know that when you're a kid and you get given opportunity, you can make an impact. Yeah, that's right. And you speak to people sometimes and they say, you know, <coughs> don't give them a three year deal. Don't give them a four year <laughs> deal. They'll get complacent. Well, those people obviously never played the game. Yeah. Um, 
when you're a kid and you, you get a sniff, then you just want more, you want more, you Correct. want more. So, um, and you're fearless too. Exactly. And, and you need a balance. You know, you can't stack the team with, with kids and, and expect them to do everything. Mm. Um, you do need some experience. Juan Day, Harvey Lopez, um, Jakobsen, Tommy Urich, Goodwin, Halloran. There's Great a heap place. of experience there, yeah. right? So, and that's just a few names. So, um, you know, I think they complement each other well. I think the kids are doing well. I think we find the balance well between giving them confidence to express themselves and play versus don't let them get a big head. There's still a long way to go. Mm. I think between Carl, Eugene and Ross, that, that balance has been really, really good. Um, I have individual meetings with the players two or three times a season just sort of a well-being checkup, you know, not I want to be playing left back, but I'm playing right back. I'm not right. discussing any of that. That's all coaches to, yep, yep. to deal with. But how can the club be better? How can we make your life better? Everyone understands we're a small club, but we're always very player-centric. You know, how can we make things better? And, and it's interesting what you hear. Yeah. Things that you can very quickly change or fix or improve that have a significant impact on them. So I think the balance is right with the people that are there. Ayrton, as, as a youth team coach, is doing a great job as well. So there's not one person that I'd, that I'd, that I'd change. Um, everyone who's, who's at the club at the moment is, is doing a phenomenal job. And we'll lose some games, we'll win games, we'll draw some games. But I think for the medium and longer term, we're really setting the pillars in place that can continue to drive this club forward. It's pretty um, pretty exciting to watch from the outside, I must say, knowing you personally, seeing you actually progress. <clears throat> what you said in your first press conference to now is, as you said, it, there's no word of a lie. It is literally the pathway that you said you were going to do for the club. Um, but just going back to your journey in the A-League and, and in some of our time together, but before I do that, just what's a kind of a contentious issue a lot of people talk about is the progression of the A-League. Mm. <clears throat> in your position, you obviously have good visibility of, of the A-League as a whole, but you, having played in it probably over, over 15 years ago when you started to now, I mean, how do you sort of see how it's grown, how it's shifted, a way that we can improve it to get it to be, you know, a really big league in this country? Yeah, it's definitely got a lot of room for improvement. I think over the last, what can I say, four four and a half, five years maybe. Um, there's obviously been a lot of disruption. Clubs uh, now own and run the league. It used to be under Football Federation Australia. It's not even called Football Federation Australia anymore. <laughs> it's Football Australia. There's been changes, um, a lot of changes in, in the football ecosystem. I think now when I speak to certain individuals who are very influential in our game, um, Gregor Rourke, for example, um, James Johnson, another obviously different pathways, but both relatively bullish, mm. I would say, and both seeing a great growth trajectory. You know, Women's World Cup coming on the on the uh, grassroots federation and football ecosystem side is is phenomenal for our game. People don't understand how big it is because yeah. there probably hasn't been as big a sporting event in Australia ever. Obviously, at Sydney Olympics, that was huge. Mm. Um, I was in Sydney at the time. 
um, went to the opening ceremony, closing ceremony, and, and, and a number of events. That was huge. Massive. I think Women's World Cup's going to be bigger than that. <coughs> really? Yeah, I really do. And it's not just in Sydney. Like, it's everywhere. Mm, you know, it's that's Adelaide, true. it's Sydney, it's Melbourne, it's Brisbane, it's it's Auckland, you know, it's, it's across New Zealand. So, you know, the impact's going to be felt just as as hard and broader, right? So you got that. Then you got that A-League, the owners of the clubs now own, run the league. There's a number of initiatives. There's a new TV rights deal that's going to be announced. There's a lot of positive news, I think, that's going to come coming. out in the coming months um, and hopefully in the coming years. Um, on the back of COVID, I think there's a very unique opportunity for the A-League to really stamp itself on the map, needs innovation, needs more investment, all these things that we know, um, needs to better tap into grassroots. Um, that's something that hasn't been done well for a, a very long period, years. There was a period when it was going well. The mm. A-League was really popular. You know, average crowds were relatively high. Eyeballs, um, so people watching the games was, were relatively high. Um, all that now that that obviously the media landscape started to shift. Yeah. You know, streaming's a thing, podcasts are more <clears> of a thing. Um, before it was still Fox Sports and Foxtel yeah. and cable and all this sort of stuff that's shifted. Um, but there's space for strategy, innovation, marketing, um, and commercialization of the league that I think now with the owners in charge, um, I am positive on the outlook. Now, I want to get back to when we played together, which was for across roughly two and a half seasons. But do you have any memories of playing together that time at Adelaide? I mean, you've been at Adelaide for a long period of time, but I think you you just come back to the club for your second stint. Yep, yep. It's a pretty good time to be alive and, yeah, and playing for that club. Yeah, it was good. So is this when you were there? Yeah, I just came. So you were there for a season, and then I came so in your came, second season. Cozzy was there. Yeah, No, Cozzy was there. Still, Cozzy? Yeah, we just got knocked out of the Asian Champions League. Remember the Uzbekistan trips? Yeah, and, I remember that. Yeah. Is that John McCain? John McCain. Yeah. the injection? Yes. <laughs> yep. Doc Noble injected. Doc you know, Noble, that's it, mate. Get him through. Drop foot. <laughs> the warrior. Do you remember <laughs> that that speech? Yeah. yeah um, what did you want to know about? Just the time, the time then, playing under Cozzy, that change room. Like, if you think back to that change room, and I obviously didn't play change room. very long in professional myself, but a lot of people still talk back today, that change room was special. It was special. And the clubs had a few special change rooms. That was one of them. Um, good guys, Cam Watson, John McCain, um, Nigel Bogard. It was actually really good. Um, <laughs> it was. It was. It was really good. So... We were relatively successful that year as well. Yeah. Dario Vidicic had a fantastic season. Great season. Um, went off to Switzerland after that, I think. Yep. Um, when did we lose in that? So we lost. So the, the our season we had did that we Bruce finish? is talking about. So when I came, we were in the Asian Champions League finals. So we got through the round of 16. Played Bunyard Core. And we lost to Bunyard Core across two legs, yep. which was a skeptical Skeptical loss at that because we played away. The, the The experience there was quite unique because we played the second leg away yeah. in, um, is it Bunyad called the city? No, I can't remember. Tashkent, maybe. Tashkent, Uzbekistan. Tashkent, yeah. So 
and they had people scouting us training on buildings around the stadium. Do you remember that? Like you might not remember that, but I just remember them. Like they would do anything to win. Bro, my career's a blur, man. <laughs> yeah, but no, that that season we had a really good season. We actually because of tag, we had a good season. We've, I've spoken of Sean Tag on yeah, the show we before. Fit. How fit we were. We were. But we Did went stair runs at Brighton. Yeah, yeah, we went like ten and zero. The yeah, first few, yeah, we were good. So I think we came fourth in the season, and we lost the first final to Brisbane at home. That's because Cosy left and stuff, though. Yeah, Mickey yeah, Ve- Mickey that. Volcanus came in that. for like the last seven eight games, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Interesting season. Remember he left and he didn't tell us. Yeah, he just disappeared after the Central Coast game. <laughs> we were in, we're in the change room, like he's training on tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to ask you about Cosy because you played with him for a while and. Anyone knows Jonker's mean he's quite a character, but for those who never really played under him or got insight to him behind the scenes, he was renowned for after training sessions, taking his shoes off, having an apple or coffee in hand and coming over to someone saying, ah, Brucey, you want to come for a walk? (laughs) Walk of death. Walk of death. Because that lap, you were starting, you weren't starting, you were out, you weren't going to play for a month, you come back, boys, I'm in. All mind games. So... Can you you did a couple of those walks and your analogies were quite funny, but oh what were they like what, for what, you? What were my analogies? I can't even remember. Uh, just like that. That was it, man. I wasn't playing. I'm playing. Now I'm starting. Oh, I'm captain. Oh, I'm on penalties. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, John Cosme. He's much more mellow now these days. So um, worked a bit with him at, at, at Fox Sports when I first retired and, and you know, I'll speak to him or catch up with him whenever I get the chance when we're up in Brisbane. Obviously, he knows Carl and Ross really well as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's heaps more mellow now. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. before he was, uh, could get a bit fiery. Definitely. Um, played a bit of mind games. Uh, good coach, though. Yeah. Got good results. And then one day just disappeared. Abandoned us. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, he did. He did sign a good team together. But uh, that, that period at Adelaide was special because it did take a shift to that club. And um, not disrespecting the coaches before Josep, but Josep came in and really created something special, which was a foundation for why I think Adelaide ended up winning the A-League. Um, a few years after. I think everyone's in the green. Yeah. Can you can you speak of Josep, for those that didn't know him, and, and the philosophy he brought and the impact he made on the Adelaide United Football Club? Ah, it was phenomenal. Um, everything from the philosophy, how I want to play. He moulded the club c- completely, like the whole football department. I actually think he changed the A-League in the sense of like the, the, the football we played, no one could, no one had yeah. seen before to that level. No, nah, I disagree. I think Ange was already there doing it at Brisbane. Do you think, think the same level? Plus the Coglu's Brisbane team. Do you remember how good they were? Yeah, but they didn't, have, <laughs> but exactly. Adelaide didn't have their players and we, we were out playing people. I know, but I think if we're brutally honest, I think Ange revolutionized the A-League in terms True. of that possession-based attacking football, free-flowing. And, and he I had think, championships. To his I name think too. that that is why the club went and got a Giuseppe. Yeah, because we couldn't compete, compete yeah. without Correct. having that level of acumen. You know, um, um, infiltrating the the squad in the way we played, and Giuseppe did that. Um, but his impact was broader than that. You know, he set up a style of play, a philosophy that, honestly, at the time, I thought, oh, if the club does this for the next twenty years. See you later. I'm going to be the best club in the <clears throat> consistently. Don't yeah. worry about the lack of financial power and all the yeah. other sort of yeah, you can't beat the philosophy. Like Giuseppe was that good. Um, great coach, great guy. Put a really good team together. Really close bond. Stuck to his principles even when it damaged the team. Mm. Um, I was speaking to Eugene the other day about the time when, was it Awa 
fell asleep in the meeting. Did you get a call up that day? Yeah, I played. I came. I flew to Melbourne. So Awa for, for, <laughs> for those forgot for about everyone that. who wasn't in that room that day. Um, pre-game meeting, like three and a half hours before the game. So last thing you pretty much do before you jump on the bus and, and head off to the stadium. What we've worked on all week <laughs> uh, was something like. You know, start with uh, McCain, out to Bogard, out to Moroni, Zulo go high because we want to end up with the ball at Zulo. Something like that. When that happens, the winger comes in and all this sort of stuff. And <laughs> Awa, God knows why, he's obviously tired. Had a bit of a doze. This is soccer, current soccer Awa Mobile as well. He was a young and fiery individual. Yeah. Had a bit of a nap. <laughs> hey, what? What did I just say? So I was at the back, so I couldn't see. I was sleeping. Anyway, hey, what did I just say? And he's like, instead of him saying like, I didn't listen or I didn't hear or I wasn't paying oh, no. attention. He said, oh, you said about going from McCain to Bogard out to Zulo so you can get it out to Maroney or something. Like the oh, no. complete opposite. So he tried to, <laughs> he he tried to answer. He guessed. You, Awa, come on, man. Hey, what? That's a pet. You won't play today. <laughs> you won't play today, pal. Call Jake. Get him on the plane. This is a true story because <laughs> I actually forgot about this, but I had to fly from Adelaide to Melbourne. Day the, we, we played Day Melbourne City. Game. Day of the game. Turned Melbourne up. Melbourne victory. Oh, Melbourne All victory. Was, that was, was one of the two. It was, it was at Amy Park. It was a big was game. victory. And we lost them and could have really done with Awa. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even I, think I played. But, but that's what I said about... He set the standard. Yeah, he was just, yeah, he was. Didn't matter if it was myself, Awa, Nigel Bogard, anyone who would have had the same, same punishment. Thing. And even though it damaged the team. Yeah, what can you do? But you know what? There was a lot of growing pains to get to that point with Yosef. Do you remember how, I mean, the first few months with him, the training was, was, was not, I wouldn't basic. say it's bad, but it was very basic. Very do the simple things well and starting to build foundation for a methodology that a lot of people who had played at a very high level were like, oh, fuck, I can do this with my eyes closed. Mm. But we didn't realize what he was actually trying to do. And on top of that, he was extremely critical of you and your basic <laughs> skill sets. So like for the first few friendly matches, maybe he started grading people out of 10. Yeah. Like, like we're in school. He's like, yeah. Golek, six out of 10. Very good. And then me, he's like four out of 10, five out of 10. I'm like, Yosef, I just scored two. But, you know, he had his ways. Like the movements, the passing. Everything, was... everything else. It was very deep and it, it challenged your thinking. But um, obviously when he left, the principles are in place. A lot of the core group was there and, um, you know, the, the coach after him, Amor, came in and, and probably didn't really have to change too much. It was on autopilot in a sense. Well, kind of, but he did change quite a bit. Did he? Um, what, like what? Like the pressing. We didn't press anymore, remember? Ah. You weren't there, but like no. we, we, we didn't press anymore. We didn't want to do the high press and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So so it changed a bit. Giuseppe was very much a coach. Amor was very much a manager. So Giuseppe would tell you the finest of fine details, whereas Guillermo would be like, you should know that. You're a professional footballer. Right. So then we had our trials and tribulations in the early parts of Gilmore Moore's reign, okay, um, which we resolved and, and culminated in winning the championship. But they were relatively different. What what Giuseppe was very much heart on the sleeve type, celebrate mm. the goal with the team, run knee you slide. Know, it was real um, Mourinho esque. Yeah, it was it was a bit dramatic at times. Um, whereas Gilmore was the polar opposite. Yeah, he yeah. was. 
as cool as ice. He was the ice man. He was, which he was suited so his personality, which suited his CV, because it's like, how can anything here phase him with what he's <laughs> exactly. achieved in his life in exactly. Barcelona? He was he's on the biggest like, stage in the world. He was here just Come on, guys. man. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? He's like, you know, at the A-League, I'll, I'll dust off that medal when I find it. Yeah. <laughs> but so. no, actually, there's two things I want to talk about here before we go into your playing career abroad in particular, because you're a well-traveled man. Um, but first is Marcelo Karuska. What a player he was. Yeah, superb. I still see more Thomas on yesterday. The unbelievable player. One of the probably best players I ever saw. Not that I played for a long period, he but just, just in regards to talent, pure he, talent. He was, he was just so good. He never sprinted. Oh, he did in the end. But when he got here, he didn't really sprint. Like, But he just walked past people. Uh, the most perfect left foot you'll ever see. He's a very good player. Um, the second thing was, do you know how I met Josette? Have I told you this story? You met him? Met him. I met him before anyone at the club, bro, before it got announced. Where? So after the first season, my first season at Adelaide, we lost in the finals to Brisbane. Mickey Valcanis was coach. Yep. I'm and I was up. playing under him. So I was kind of excited. I'm like, oh, if Mickey sticks around, I'll probably get more game time here because he started yep. giving me a bit of an opportunity. Yeah. Anyway, I go on holiday, bro. I'm in Barcelona with my old man. And he's like, hey, Malaga's playing Barca tomorrow. We should go to the game. It's the last game of the season. Barca's, gonna, Barca's won the, the league. Yeah. Yeah, that let's go. So anyway, we get the we get nosebleed seats because there's not many seats left. It's obviously a massive game. Eric Abidal is retiring too, and he obviously yeah, had yeah. some like health issues and yeah, yeah, yeah. ended up coming back and playing and stuff. So we go there anyway, watching the teams warm up. I'm like, fuck, man. Everyone was there by Messi, but Iniesta, Xavi. I'm like, oh man, this is unbelievable. I look down, bro. Ten rows in front of me in a hundred thousand seat stadium is Michael Petrillo on the phone, and I'm like. Petrillo? Is that Petrillo? I can't be. <laughs> so I, put, I pick up my phone, and for those that don't know, Michael Petrillo was essentially what Bruce is now for Adelaide. And CEO. Yeah, and CEO. So he was quite senior. So for him to be there, there was it's, it's either a holiday or he's moving and shaking something. And with where we were at as a club, he was definitely moving and shaking something because we didn't have a coach at the time. So I called him. I'm like, Petrillo? I'm like, is that you? He goes, Jake. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, where are you? I go, I'm at the camp now. I'm like, is that, are you in front of me? He goes, no way. Turns around, it's him. He goes, oh, mate, um, comes, comes over and talks to me. He goes, look, I'm actually here because I'm, I'm about to sign this new coach. So I was like, oh, crazy. Anyway, whatever, time goes by. The next day, unbelievable game. They win four or five nil. Mm -hmm. Crown champions, like incredible. Anyway, the night night comes. Pichillo calls me. He goes, hey, I spoke to the coach. He wants to, um, he wants to pick you up tomorrow and take you to a game. And I'm like, Fuck. He's like, he's like, are you free? And I'm like, well, <laughs> now I am. So anyway, Josep picks me up outside the W Hotel in Barcelona on the beach with his agent and says, hey, we're going to go to two games today. Uh, you know, you're going to come? So I go in, meet him. He didn't really have much English. Petrillo was there kind yeah, of right, right. speaking through. Bro, we went to a game. It was like third division in Spain um, on this artificial pitch. And he's like, hey, see that guy on the right wing? He goes, I want you to watch him. So I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, you thinking of signing him? He's like, yeah, maybe. We'll see. So after the game, this guy on the right wing was quality, bro. I'm like, this guy, yeah, I'm like, look, I know it's third division, but I'm sure he could do well in the A-League. I feel like the A-League was better than this, but he could do well. Anyway, it was Thirio. Sergio yeah. Thirio. It was good. Bro, really what a player. Good. Won the championship with yeah, Adelaide. Yeah, yeah. And then after, he took me to Barca B uh, to play Villarreal, which was just insane. So I actually met him that way. So when I went to Adelaide, I'm like, this guy, I had a sense this guy's going to be good. Yeah, right. Because he's um, La Masia affiliation. Fascinating story, actually. Fascinating. Yeah, bro, in the <laughs> camp now. What are, what are the chances? But anyway, speaking of um, abroad and football, mm. now you've a well-traveled man. You played a long time in the A-League for Adelaide across a couple of stints, but you have had stints in Asia and Turkey. And I do want to go into your time 
uh, when you were playing for Turkey? Because I feel like that was a really prominent time in your career where you're getting Socceroo recognition and obviously probably your first real experience in Europe. Yeah, yeah. But what was the Tur- Turkish Super League like for you, which obviously at the time and still is a really high, highly respected league? It was a good league, man. Really good. Had good players. Roberto Carlos was there, for example. Wow. Um, there were a big Aussie contingent there at the time. So... Um, was Harry Kill there at Harry this time for Gala? Lucas was there for a period. Um, Mila Jednak, Troisi, myself, Petka, Petkovic, um, goalkeeper. So it was just a phenomenal time, mm. you know, with um, so many Aussies there. Ersan Gullum, who ended up playing for Turkey, but yep. grew up in Melbourne. He right? played for Adelaide as well, didn't played he? Played for Adelaide a couple of years ago. Um, so it was just a great time to be in Turkey. The league was really good, um, really high level. You know, you're talking, the, okay, there's always the big clubs. You know, mm. Galatasaray, Fenerbahce, Besiktas, clubs on sport was big then. Um, remains big now, obviously. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a phenomenal experience. Every game was hard. Every training was hard. Um, really enjoyable. Um, great experience in terms of, you know, what was I, 20, 21 years old? Yeah. Um, moved to Turkey by myself, Ankara, the capital. Um, it was a, a fantastic time to be alive. Yeah. It was brilliant. For you, because I, I know you had a relationship with Harry Kuehl, and you might remember telling me some stuff about this, which I want to ask you just to see if you can remember back to the, back to this date. But that was around the time you started getting soccer recognition because obviously the quality yeah, of the league you were playing of, in. I've gone to a lot of camps. Played a few games, but gone to a lot of camps. But I look back on, on that time with the national team, like it was just so phenomenal because I just caught the end of the last few years of some of those like real the golden the golden, era, golden right? generation yeah right um i learned so much from them and you know just watching them being able to train with them for me you know i'd go to camps would never get on for the qualifier game but you know you're in camp for for two weeks with these guys so you're referencing roughly the squad that went to the 06 world cup got through the group stage yeah the tim cahill's growlers brescianos right. Dukas, etc yeah so if, if, if you had stopped. I think Popovich had stopped. Skoko had yep. finished. Yep. Yeah, there were a few of the older ones. Um, there were a few that had stopped, but you know, John Aloisi was still there. Like you said, Dukes, yeah. Harry, uh, Emo, uh, Lucas. Um, what What did you learn Brella, from them? Bresh. Like when you like oh, when you mentioned you just know. how far off I was from being <laughs> a, a potential oh. Premier League player. <laughs> like, <laughs> they were that good, man. That's insane. And you got to think, like, I remember seeing Dukes. He was so good. Like, unbelievable. Wow. Like, man, this guy is so good. Can you imagine how good, like, Anelka and Kanu are? <laughs> yeah, Can right. The top strikers in the Premier League. Clivert and stuff. Here? Oh, like, man, it's scary. I could not. I was just like, like, they're, they're just unbelievable. Because Dukes is unbelievable. He had a really good season at Middlesbrough. Yeah. Just gone to Newcastle United. Like, he, okay. He, was at the peak of his powers roughly around there. He was really good. Yeah. But like, he wasn't a Barca or Real or, <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I get it, bro. I was just blown away. I'm like, but he's so good. Like, but this is what, fa- who, how can you be better than this? This is what, <laughs> now, this is what fascinates <laughs> me so though about good. some of these players. Like, and this is why I always talk about Harry Kuehl. I'm like, Harry Kuehl played for Liverpool. He was could good, barely man. walk. And Rafa Benitez still put him in the starting 11 for the Champions League final because of his quality. Yeah. 
Now, I just want to, because you had a bit of a personal relationship with him and when he went to Turkey, like he was a big fucking deal. He was a god, man. He was a god. Yeah. Can you give me some of the behind the scenes of what it was like being around Harry in Turkey at that time? Oh, he was just, he was just, you couldn't go anywhere without, I don't call it harassment, but you know, a significant amount of attention on him from, from fans, obviously. And you know what the best thing about him? Humble as. Mm. Humble guy, man. Same like you and I. No different. Really? Yeah, just chill dude. Yeah, that's crazy. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know when you only see people on TV and you think like their life must be so different, like, you know, or their way of thinking must be so different. No, same. Really? It's phenomenal. Just more attention. I think the best, the, 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 like, the best players that I've ever interacted with are really down to earth. So when Del Piero was here, just speaking to him and stuff, so down to earth. Mm. Yet more, more as you know, three hundred plus Champions League winner, yeah. like so down to it. Like nicest guy, you know, Harry, Timmy, all those guys in in, in that national team setup. Schwarzer, like nicest guy. Really, nice. bro, they're just so normal. So normal, no different. They're just kids, generally from humble beginnings, who are really good at something, went on earned a great deal of money, played in the biggest stages, but at the end of the day, were just good human beings. And then you got the guys who I didn't have much to deal with, and I haven't come across too many of them, who are good, but not mm. there. Mm. And they know <laughs> that they're not there. <laughs> so they pretend that they're there. That they're there. Oh, so they act in a way that those that are there don't act in that way. So, you know what I mean? It was, it was, it was really interesting. It was a good eye opener for me. That's fascinating, man. Now living abroad at such a young age, particularly like football is very unique to that. Sports very unique to that. You get thrown in situations. Not many other things in life could put you in like living in Ankara at 21. Yeah. <laughs> what, what sort of job's going to take you there? Right. But what are, what do you think are some of the benefits from those experiences going out of your comfort zone, being in high pressure environments that think, you know, in some ways set you up for who you are now as well. Oh, big time. And this is what I try to explain to people all the time. You know, it's all well and good to read all the literature and all the books in the world about this, that, and the other, and be an expert in, in your field. But there's nothing like real world, real life experience. You just can't, I've done both. It pales in comparison. Mm. You know, you, you, you could, you could read about, Muslims or Turkey or the history or their political system or anything about Turkey. If you don't live there, yeah, I'm not interested in your theory. Yeah. Theory and reality can be very different things. Mm. Um, so I've always, you know, uh, entrenched myself anywhere I went. So I lived in Turkey. I, I learned the language. It's pretty poor now. I've forgotten a lot of words, but <laughs> I was there for two and a bit years. So you'd emphasize trying to take on the language. I wouldn't emphasize it, but you just pick it up. You'd have you to, know what yeah. I mean? So you just pick it up. When I first went there, I was, not many players spoke English and quite a few spoke French. A few African boys, a few girls from Belgium. I speak French. I was, I spoke French for you know, the first number of months that, that, that really? I was there. Yeah. Um, I spoke a little bit of English, a broken English with, with some of the boys, but, but I could speak French fluently with, with my, you know, four, five, six of my teammates. Mm. Um, so it was easier to do it that way. 
um, I just think to have to have um, global experience is priceless. Essentially, mm. no one can teach it to you. You can't you, put you, a price on that, bro. You can't. You have to go and experience it. So, Turkey was a fantastic experience, and 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 subsequent to that, being in other countries around the world was was equally uh, uh, fascinating and you know fulfilling. Mm. You know, experiences and I have the ability now to understand why people, all range of people, think the way they do, how they arrive to the conclusions that they arrive to because of my experiences all over the world. You know, whereas Amazing. if you've just always lived in Australia, or well, it doesn't matter where you've lived, if you've always lived in one place and you've gone somewhere on holidays or something like that, then you don't understand the dynamic and how it's arrived to be that way. Mm. And that disables you to an extent on your ability to understand why someone you might be disagreeing with, you might be agreeing with, you might be negotiating with, is thinking the way that they are. Because yeah. you, you just don't get it. Like, I don't Correct. understand why. A lot of times, I understand exactly how they arrived there or why or, you know, what their upbringing has been, what, what that must have, you know, how's that formulated the person, what environment they've grown up is in. I might disagree with them, but... I understand why they think the way they do or right. why they've arrived at the conclusion they have. Their culture. It's amazing to see other people's normal, isn't it? Like when you come from the, from here or anywhere and you see someone else, the way they live and the way they do things. And to them, it's normal. And to yeah. them, it's very different. Yeah. That's what those experiences give you. It gives <laughs> you that does. sort of well-rounded experience. But um, the other places you played in were Korea and Indonesia as well. China. What, China too. What What was... I guess that part of Asia like for you, they'd be very different. I can imagine to Australia and Turkey. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a pretty good spread of different, um, environments or cultures or whatever you want to call it. Um, so post Turkey, Gold Coast briefly, and then China. Interesting. China, really interesting. I was there 2011. Um, you know, it's a country I went back, I was in there in 2019 towards the end of 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, their development's unbelievable. Like the work ethic, um, the way they go about things, um, really interesting. No one knew about Tiananmen Square wow. in my team. Wow. I'll never forget that, man. I was on the bus. It was like the anniversary. I mentioned it. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, what? As in the Chinese players didn't know yeah, about it? no idea. Why? And there were some international ones. Oh, it's a lot of censorship and stuff. Ah, uh, really? Yeah. I was shocked, man. <laughs> Holy. I had a VPN and everything. I couldn't still confine it. What's like that the equivalent it? of like Melbourne people not knowing the Sydney Harbour Bridge or like? I don't know. It's a pretty significant event in the wow, history of man. the country. But yeah. So there was that. Um, um, South Korea, really, really. Like, South Korea was the best country I lived in overseas. Like lifestyle. Really? Oh, it's man. funny, Rashid was on the podcast a few weeks ago. He played in South Korea and he yeah. loved it. He loved it, huh? Loved That's it, sick. man. That's so good, Thinks man. it was the people, the, the culture. Oh, the nicest people in the Every, world. Yeah, he said everyone was like just... Friendly, helpful. They won't rip your And off. he was there in COVID and he said, you know what, man? Oh, I'm good here. <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> yeah. good, man. Like, yeah. that, that is a phenomenal society. So, um, and I had kids then, you know, right. I, had the, I had the kids there and stuff, so... So lifestyle wise, I can I can definitely say without without doubt that that South Korea was the best lifestyle. Mm. Very high level of football as well, um, and Indonesia was interesting because you know what? In a way, it brought me back 
to how it was in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, conservative, um, mosques ringing out five times a day. I was there with the kids and the That's family That's a crazy as well. experience when you're you in know, that, hey. It was, uh, it's not a crazy experience. It was just an experience. Like, I, I, I can't say I was used to it because last time, you know, I was in that environment was, was a long time prior. Mm. But there was no culture shock or... I was like, yeah, it's same like living in Turkey. It's fine. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it was good for the kids because the kids got South Korea, they got Indonesia, you know, so so helps them with their global mindset or outlook. And they're only little now, but, you know, by the time they're teenagers and that, yeah. I think uh, it will have a very positive impact on their life. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Now, anyone that knows Bruce knows his business orientation and his view of life is I would say extensive for an athlete because he's always had an open view of who he's going to be, what he wants to do, and always had a very productive and proactive life outside of the soccer field, which when we were playing, I would say was very unique. There wasn't a lot of people that weren't going home playing PlayStation, going yeah. home to the cafes, right? You were going home to do other things, study, etc. So I am going to go into this, but do you remember when we went, uh, I think it might've been 2013, Jared Walsh, who at the time was one of the main voices in Adelaide. He still is one of the, probably the main voice in Adelaide across yeah, emceeing and voice. corporate speaking. But at the time he was one of the main voices at Nova in Adelaide. And he actually used to do our ground announcements at Adelaide. And he started running a segment called the pitch. Oh yeah. You remember this? And anyway, for whatever reason, I, the pitch. I, I joked about it cause he's bald. He was getting a hair transplant. He took a few weeks off. And n- no yeah. one else but Was me put a hair transplant. Well, it's just my humor to him. Yeah, of, right. you know, he's bald, but anyway, I di- I ended up taking over the host of the segment for a few weeks, and I interviewed you. Do you remember that? No. You don't remember it, bro. I remember doing the pitch. I'm gonna, that. I'm gonna cut a clip it's in. It's all a blur, bro. I'm gonna cut a clip in for this so we can get to it. And so we are gonna. Was that sp- on the couch? Yeah, it was on the couch. In the, in the, yeah, in the you're office. you're in your trackies as well. So anyone, that's what Bruce that's was like expected. back then. But there's a lot of humor in there around the business aspect of what you do because you were very proactive on it back then. And we emphasized it in that episode. I'm going to spend a bit of time on it. But before we do, we do have some fan questions that come in. Right. And it's called the Lace Them Up Quickfire Five. I've given it a name, folks. We've done this for a few weeks. We we trialed it with Ryan Grant. It got some good feedback. Yeah. So we're now going to keep running with it. I'm not as funny as Ryan Grant. No, but essentially (laughs) these are just questions from our listeners. Quickfire Five. It's just instinctive answers. All right, let's go. All right. Best player you ever played with? People ask me that stuff all the time. I don't know, Did man. Pick one. You've got to pick one, bro. There's got to be one that Best made you better, I made the team better. played with ever. That you admired from afar. Like, how the F do they do that? It doesn't matter how often I played with them? No. It's called the quick five five for a reason. Yeah, I know it's not quick at all. Can't you just edit and cut it? Yeah, <laughs> this is what happened in the pitch as well. There's there's segments oh, no. where you said, "Can't you just edit and cut it?" <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this isn't a good segment for you. It's such broad. This is unfair. Like, okay, I, uh, I give me a, give me a, give me a few names. You know, it was really good. Obviously, Dukes was good. Mark Maduka. Yep. Yeah, I didn't play with him all that often, but phenomenal. Um, Harry, obviously that's Socceroos. Socceroos. I can say club, uh, club side. Um, 
Karuska was good. Yes, he, I throw Karuska up there to a lot of people. He was good, man. A lot of people don't understand how no, no. unbelievable he was. No, no, he was really good. Um, let's just stick with that. Okay, done. Good. Because that wasn't quick at all. <laughs> most most unique place you've played football in? You played Uzbekistan would be up there. I was going to say Tashkent for me. That's a, it's a very weird place. Well, it's an interesting place. Interesting, yeah. Very hostile. Yeah. We'll say Tashkent. Tashkent. All right. This is an interesting one because you play with a lot of, under a lot of people, but who was your best coach and why? This can be for getting the best out of you or just the most interesting oh. you played with. I'd say Giuseppe Nange Postacoglu. Good toy. Good joy. All right. This is, uh, this is a good one. This look, I may have had a bit of a say in this, but anyone played with Bruce, anyone knows Bruce, he was a right footer. But boy, did he score a lot of goals with his left. <laughs> Why did you score more goals with your left than your right? Did I? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I mean, it was there was a period. There was a year. Give the people stats. Be accurate, bro. Well, yeah, very good, very good <laughs> nah, point. I don't no, know. but there was a period, know. and I'll just jump into this before I give it to you. There was a period when you got the ball on the right hand side of the box. Oh, sorry, yeah, the right hand side of the box with your back to goal, and you turned onto your left and you beat a man. And you had a shot. It was a goal, guaranteed goal. Training game. It didn't happen all the time. As in, you get those ball in that position, but you just had this swagger from that area that it just couldn't be stopped. The accuracy. Why? Why did you have such a? Was it an emphasis to get your left foot better, and it just started to dominate? Like what happened there? I don't know. I always use both feet, and I remember Pim Verbeek, Socceroos coach, uh, saying to me, "You know what? Sometimes when you're so proficient with both feet, it can actually be a detriment to you mm. because you don't concentrate as much on your first touch because it doesn't matter to you." Mm. If you control it goes to the left, you just hit it with your left. Control it goes to the right, you just hit it to your right. But you need to make that decision before the ball comes. Like, you know, you need to know when you're really left footed, it's automatic. Yeah. Because you know for you to strike or pass the ball, it has to be, it has to be on that side of your body. Because you can't compensate. <laughs> you can't compensate. Interesting. So Never thought of it that way. Right or left foot, man, for me it was... They were just the same, same. Oh. I'm naturally right-footed. I'd never take a penalty with my left foot, for example. Yeah. But, um, yeah, my left was quality. the ball well. It was quality. All right. This is an interesting one. This is someone who must know you. Any stock advice for brewing investors? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Stick to exchange-traded funds. Oh, what are your thoughts? <laughs> You're very ETFs. against cryptocurrency, aren't I you? I am. I am. My brother spoke to me about crypto when it was about 8,000 yeah. coin. and Bitcoin? That's bloody 50 or 60,000. Wow. But you know what? Everyone's got that story. Good luck to them. <laughs> but you're also a very well-educated man, which is why you are in a suit, director of football at Adelaide at the age of 34, 35, which is... 34, bro. What 34, you sorry. Years for? Well, you're going to be turning 35 at some point. Next year. Next year. But anyway, <laughs> no, in, in all honesty, with the career of football and obviously with what you were trying to sort of build outside of football, did you dislike the lack of stability at times that football threw at you because you were ebbing and changing, particularly towards the end of your career as you're starting to try and create a path out of it, I guess. A little bit, but you know what? It wasn't as destabilizing as the COVID times. True. <laughs> Last <laughs> year, like in this role, that, like that was like, it's still a precarious occupation. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it helps build resilience, helps build a tolerance. Like I never get stressed. Mm. I reckon I've been stressed two or three days since I took on this role. Really? That's it, bro. 
Why? Why? Just se- it always works out, man. Oh, are you the Dalai Lama or something? No, 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 no. There's t- I was speaking about this with someone yesterday. There's two ways to think about everything always works out. There's the people who don't do anything and they're <laughs> like, everything will be fine. And it never is. Yes. Because they haven't done anything. Correct. And then there's people who've done all the groundwork, work really hard and deserve to be rewarded at some stage. Might not be today, might not be tomorrow, might not be in a month, might not be in a year, but it's coming. It always works out. You know what? This is, it's very true. I completely agree. And I, I actually, this is why I'm not surprised with where you're at right now, because when we were playing together 10 years ago, as you mentioned, you always, whether you, you never really stated this, but just within your actions and knowing you and, and being around you quite a lot there, you definitely had an emphasis on networking and broadening your relationships outside of football. Mm. And I'm talking with, successful business people in property to finance to um to politicians i mean well, that's another story but like bruce is very political with his relationships and, and obviously i'm not political well you're not political but you're involved with a lot of political people i mean <laughs> not too many people were catching up with people at the embassy in right, indonesia yeah, right yeah. right so but can for you know wh- why were you like that was it just your personality or did you kind of you know just just my personality i get on with people naturally and i enjoy hearing and understanding people's stories, where they've come from. I'm a people person. Do you think? Do you recommend that to other footballers? Like, do you think it assists depends, with football, it or is it just personality-wise? Yeah, depends. You, if, you, if you're the really shy person who doesn't want to speak much and do much, then there's no point trying to push that person into, you know, being a keynote speaker at a conference. Mm. You know. So, but what I would say is. Through sport, you get a very unique opportunity to meet a broad range of very, very interesting, very, very successful people, mm. you know, or unsuccessful people. There's a lot to learn from them too. Mm. Um, I took the time to learn as much as I could off all of the ones that I did meet. Mm. It's pretty much as simple as that. And it's done genuinely. It's not done because one day I want to do this. So let me find out what they're doing or one day I need that person's help. So let me, no, I was Mm. in the middle of playing a a football career. I just wanted, I had a genuine interest in how that person might've arrived to where they are. Um, you know, advice that they could, they could give, you know, I remember speaking to Stephen Lowy, the week we won the grand final and he said words to the effect of not not it's not over he he didn't say it's not over until the final whistle's blown or something basic like that but but the that was the message you mm. know um obviously grand final was that weekend etc cetera, etc cetera. um they were all coming down to adelaide for it and it was it was very much like you know what Grand final, only come around every so often. Mm. You've got to live it every minute, every mm. moment. Embrace every, it. And like when a guy like that's taking the time out to have that discussion with you, like you listen to that. I thought about that like as I was walking out onto that pitch. Really? Yeah, actual. And like I can imagine there's a lot of people in all sorts of industries who'd love to have a chat with Stephen Lowe. They don't have that opportunity. Obviously, through sport, I I, I did. So that's just one example, minuscule example. But but there's 
thousands of them. You you actually opened my eyes up to that though, because I was quite young and naive to the fact that those relationships were there and having those discussions with people in um, successful positions, how that could impact and shape your life. And I learned that actually from you, because I'm not saying that you that you weren't genuine in those engagements. You just had a lot more of those, and we would always joke about you know your sort of antics because there was even periods where I think you might have been working one day at a week at a financial firm yeah, or something like that, right? Yeah, but. Um, you've actually been quoted on saying this and you're not going to remember this cause it's a long time <laughs> ago, but you you were doing a, a bachelor, a bachelor's in something for open universities, Australia. And bachelor you mentioned, business. right. Um, this is what you said because you, like you started, uh, playing professional quite young mm. and you're always around older players. Yes. And you mentioned before that you noticed them that some of them had a lot of difficulty with transition yeah, yeah. and that was something you I said, I don't want to have. That's exactly what I thought. You wanted to take life into your control. Since I was like 25. Yeah. So can you provide, not necessarily examples of bad transition, but the importance of having a healthy transition plan or having an idea of, you know, this is going to end some point. Yeah. I think obviously the, the, it's not just football, it's it's all athletes. I think, you know, to get to arrive to be a professional athlete, you've got to have some sort of illness to have the determination, desperation, selfishness, uh, perseverance, all those assets that that you really need to make it you know um there's 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 that but what happens with a lot of them is they label themselves as a footballer or a pole vaulter or a basketballer or whatever it might be right you get bucket it's like no 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 like you're jake barkadash correct you just happen to play football. <laughs> People don't get that. Yeah. I swear. It's yeah. like an illness. I didn't get that either. They're like institutionalized. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you know, like soccer's great. I love it. I don't want to do anything other than this. Mm. But you know what? I'm also interested in this. I'd like to find out about that. Like there's benefit that comes with a balance. Mm. Why not explore that? You know? Mm. And I did. I did see... Uh, players and I was on the PFA, PFA executive committee for, for a period. So you, so you see all the people applying for hardship fund and mm. not that there's a truckload of them, but there's, and then, but a lot of the times they're people you think are perfectly fine, mm. but they're not. Yeah. And so, no, no, no. Something's off here. I need to be in control here. Yeah. Like I need to have options. With options comes a certain amount of influence. Correct. Like if you pigeonholed into something then you end up being the player that plays an extra year because you didn't have anything else to go to and you're no good and everyone, you finish your career and everyone's got a bad taste in their mouth. Mm. You get injured and you're so desperate that you need to find another club because you don't have anything else to fall back on. I didn't want none of that. Mm. And that's how it worked out in the, in the end. <laughs> yeah. In the end, I'm like, you know what? I don't really, I'm not really motivated to come to training every single day. So... I'm going to stop. Did you so find that when you started other things to do. when you started looking at other things to do or having s- those different engagements or different conversations that you're like actually I like this. Yeah. I can see that. do you, do you emphasize do you push your younger players towards that at Adelaide given you've got a a lot of youth you, or not really? I don't know if you can you can push it the PFA takes a significant role in that. I I try to advise them. I wouldn't say push. I, I try to advise them in the importance of doing something else at the end of the day like there's not real money in the A league. Mm. Yeah, there's the odd player, marquee, that's earning significant life-changing sums of money. But else, you're going to have to do something else at some stage anyway. Yeah. 
you know, and it shouldn't all be financially motivated anyway. If I was really financially motivated, I would have gone into finance. Mm. Um, but you got to do what you enjoy doing. Obviously, that's football. But you got to find out what else you enjoy doing because mm. you cannot just enjoy doing one thing. It's not possible. Yeah. Like humans are more sophisticated than that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just about finding what else you're passionate about. It's funny because when you think about it, we players and I was it, you were it at some point in your life, we define our success off soccer, which is just a man-made game with a ball. And a lot of the fundamentals of the game of why you think you're good are really actually personality traits within yourself. It's just soccer is like this vehicle of showing you, hey, you're pretty good at this because you're determined or disciplined or, you know, you're willing to put in work or take on advice, all those things that are coachable or translatable to something else. And you don't know it until you do other things, which is, I kind of learned that the hard way, I guess. But, um, just going, we touched on your position as a director of football at Adelaide. It's no secret, and you stated it when you first went there, that this wasn't your necessarily plan A or option A to go into because it probably wasn't top of top of mind or the op- opportunity wasn't there. You were looking at working towards some other opportunities, weren't you, prior to this opening? Yeah, I was. Um, but it's all about, you know, taking your chances when they come. Would you say you're 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 pretty young to be in this position though? I'd you, say so. Yeah, I mean, like, there's not too many directors of football at 34 or 33 when you probably got yeah. hired in. No, no, there's not. So yeah, everyone gets a bit of imposter syndrome or or whatever. But then you start to get some runs on the board. You you got to believe in again. This is transferable skills. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I never feel overwhelmed. Or there's been heaps more stressful um, instances throughout life, like behind a desk. Mm. Trust me, man. I say the players all the time. I'm like, being a player, that's the hardest job. Mm. This job's not hard, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like people like you to think their jobs are really hard. You know, I'm not one of those people. You know, you speak to people, they're like, oh, I'm so busy. This job's so challenging. <laughs> Is it? Why? Yeah, break it down. You're just not that good. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe you... your time management is poor. Like people use it as like 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 a, a medal of honor. You know, it's so challenging. You know, I'm doing this role. It's really busy. You know, I'm like, well, it's actually just a job. Like if I ever type in my email, no one cares. Mm. If you miss a pass in a game, people care a lot. Yeah. And they're going to tell you they care. Kick it forward, Watto. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? The, 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 like professional sport, not just soccer, like all professional sports are at such a high octane level. If you end up working behind a desk, there ain't no job. That's it. I don't care what no one says. You can be running BHP. <laughs> There's a reckoning. That's called the AGM. It happens once, <laughs> once a, a year. year. Exactly. Pete, you know, I said this the other week. I don't care what other people say. People in the corporate world who say, oh, I'm working for a shit boss. Oh, it's really hard at the moment. You know, I'm not getting on with them. They're giving me so much responsibility. I'm like, yo, I get that. But try copying a spray from yeah, a coach no or think, the public. I'll just stop you. I, I think that's why corporations who want to be the best often seek out professional athletes or former professional athletes to either speak to their staff, talk about high-performing teams, teamwork, what it means, all those sort of commercial, corporate buzzwords, like, because 
they get those people in because they've lived it. Like you need to get mm. that and translate it to these people. Correct. Because you'd be surprised how many relatively low performers there are in the corporate world. Yeah. And you can be a low performer for a long time because you might get a, a quarterly review, a biannual review, mm. a remuneration review once a year, whatever it might be. Mate, in football, every every day. Every day. You're missing parts of training, Correct. you're going to hear about it. You're not pressing on time, you're going to hear about it. The, the, the constant feedback loop, I say to people like that voice in your head that tells you you're bored or you're excited or this is really good or what, your times are by about 100,000, you've got a sports person. Correct. During training, times out another 100,000. Sometimes your coach doesn't even speak to you because your first touch is poor. <laughs> Like no, that's like, extreme, but that, that stuff happens. Like they isolate you because you're, you're not good enough. I know. And it's, it's, and it's br- like, like bro, in, in sport, it's like contracts done, didn't perform. See you later. Yeah. Try fire someone in the private sector. Yeah. Try fire someone in the public sector, bro. You cannot, <laughs> you could be, you can be a chronic underperformer. Still got a gig. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a different world, man. It's a different, right. I'm still adapting to the lack of sophistication in that space. Yeah. Like if you could translate what the best sport people give you on slash off pitch into an office environment. Right. It, it, yeah, it'd go through the roof. It'd be unbelievable. That's why I promote athletes when they work in sort of sales roles or those commission based roles, or even in any sort of corporate space. They don't realize the skill set they have, yeah. why they're an asset to an organization. And organizations haven't really caught onto it because they're still checking if you have degrees and stuff. I think it's starting to shift. But they're a huge asset to anyone, huge regardless. Asset. Yeah, because it was no secret you were actually going to go into Fox Sports. I remember I remember flicking on my TV. I'm like, Bruce keeps just popping up on Fox Sports. He's on the couch with Cozzy. Fox for like six months. I know. you, But that was going to be more permanent, right? That was a plan. And then, I think I left at a decent time because a lot of people left. Yeah, yeah well... Yeah, there's a, a lot, lot of hardship people, there. It's a whole other story. I mean, Simon Hill, how he's not in a media role right now is unbelievable. Mm, the voice of, of Australian football. But yeah, now you've worked in this role, director of football, because a lot of people um, who don't really understand the day-to-day um, responsibilities of that role or how you sort of run and influence the results on the field. But now you've been in it, do you see that critical to operating a football club for every team? Or do you oh. think it depends on how it's... No, I think you definitely need that role. Uh, it depends on what the vision of the club is. Like, if, if, if they want a club that has sustained uh, uh, success on, on the home, look, there's, there's, there's much bigger, much better clubs than ours with sporting directors who go through painful times. Mm. Having a sporting director doesn't guarantee success. But if you have a clear vision and goals... And you want an independent thinking, rational human being instead of someone like, you know, if, if you leave it all up to a coach, well, the coach, who's he looking out for? Mm. Club? Yeah. No. Or his job? He's the first one gone. He's the first one gone. It's easier to get rid of one than 22. So, you know, you let the coaches run it. That's problematic. You know, you... you you bring a coach in, he brings his own players in, that coach leaves, those players are still there. Mm. New coach comes in, he's got a t- how many times have you heard, it's not my team? Oh, 
I had next five coaches we'll, in three years in the A-League. Next season, we'll build, we'll build the team. Yeah. It's buying time, bro. It's just time. So you need a, 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 a for stability, for medium to longer term success, I think the role is critical. Mm. And probably the reason why the majority of European clubs have sporting directors. Um, so... I, I think it's a I think it's a critical role. Do you influence um, influencing the the influence? Sorry, influencing um, results on the pinch. I don't believe so. I think that's all. Um, like for me, this, I'm I'm I don't like putting my fingers in too many pies. Like mm. my role is gatekeeper for the club philosophy, medium to longer term goals, succession plan. You know. Every time we sign a player, we look at, well, if this guy's 17 and this other one's 27 and the 17-year-old might not be as good as the 27-year-old, they're in the same position. But you know what? In one or two years of game time, when this kid's 19, he's going to be as good as, mm. if not better, <clears throat> then you sign the, the, the kid, you know? Right. Or you might say, he needs four years. Let's sign the 27-year-old for on two years, develop this kid for another two years, mm. the youth team or whatever. And then as his contract rolls off, if we do our job properly and that kid's committed, he should be, there's all that, that Discussion. needs to, to happen. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think you just got to do what's in the best interest of everyone. Mm -hmm. I get the sense sometimes people are like, oh, he works for the club. He just wants in the best interest of the club. So no, what's in the best interest of the player is also in the best interest of the club. Correct. There's no point in having a kid there who isn't going to play and just keeping him there just in case maybe one day, maybe he, no, let him mm. go. Let him go. If, if maybe he can go somewhere else and play, that's better for him. Mm. What's to stop you from bringing them back later? You know? Um, I, so look, I'm, I'm someone who takes a very neutral view on things. I can see all sides. I see the PFA side. I see the club side. I see the player side and, it's because you've been across all, all positions I've been though, across right? it, but That's you see why. a lot of people who have been players and become coaches and almost forget what it's like to be a player. <laughs> Multiple. Multiple. It's From unbelievable. People, yeah, it's actually it's, fascinating. It's, it's out of control. It's ridiculous. It's or like, you see, do you remember what you were like in this position and now you're talking to me like this or so saying this? I double check myself sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes yeah. I'll call a player, uh, 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 a player I've played with or that's currently playing or something, someone who's still a player. Yeah. And be like, this is the decision I'm making. Have I forgotten what it's like to be a player or am I still thinking, like, is that a rational decision here? I just need to <laughs> cross-check that I'm not losing myself here, you know? Um, so, but I'm, I'm very honest. I'm very, you know, I'm always looking in the mirror. What can I do better? Mm. But I think on-pitch results, mate, it's the coaches and the players. But do you, do you influence some of the signings? Because you're always at the, the face of those sort of press conferences and stuff, but you're having those discussions, or do you give that all to Carl? No. Nah. Yeah, that's there's that's no point of my role. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, right. so yeah, it's uh, I don't do anything unilaterally. Mm -hmm. I don't think I don't believe that the coaches would either. Mm -hmm. So we've got a really good relationship. It's a lot of it's relationship management, you know. Relationship with the chairman, relationship with the CEO, relationship with the players, relationship with the coaches, relationship with the high performance and medical staff. It's, you know, everyone's pulling in the same direction generally, um, but there's always pinch points everywhere. Mm. Um, you've got to manage that and get everyone 
still on the same team, going in the same direction. I think we've done that really well at Adelaide United, if I'm honest. Um, and everything's done in a team-like environment. So when mm. we talk about player signings, we have a football meeting every week. We basically go through every player every week. We th These meetings don't go for too long. It sounds like it goes for ages. But the meeting might go for 45 minutes okay. every week. Touch on a few things, how the game was, who's coming up, what the injury, all these sorts of things. Who mm. we're targeting for next season, who do we want to retain, you know, Important how people are developing, all that sort of stuff, what's happening at the youth team level, yep. all of that discussion's had. And when decisions are made, there's an overwhelming agreeance from everyone there that we're happy to go in that that direction. Mm. We're happy to sign this player. Mm. We're happy to give him two years. We're happy to give him three. Um, that's all done in unison, you know, and between the CEO, myself, Carl, Ross as assistant, Ayrton as second assistant, Eugene as, as goalkeeper coach. Like, that's the football meeting. Six yeah. of us every week. Mm. So, and you're speaking to the coaches every day anyway. But every week there's a meeting with an agenda. We go through everything. Um, and that's the best way decisions are made. Like, I don't think unilaterally making decisions <laughs> in, in, in a football club. Doesn't work. Like, a, you don't get a much more team-based yeah. <laughs> <laughs> organization than that. Like, it's all about the team. So to make unilateral decisions in that sort of an environment is a hiding to nothing. I tell you what, Bruce Yate, it's always fascinating talking to you. There's no mask on this man. I'm telling you people, this is exactly what it's like going for a coffee with Bruce. You lose yourself in 45 minutes, 50 minutes, talking about everything. Um, such an intelligent person, someone I always learn off, mate. It's been a pleasure having you on the Unlaced podcast, playing with you obviously 10 years ago now, which is just insane. Um, but, mate, excited to see what you're doing and where you're going to go and um, all, all that's going to happen in the future. Thanks for having me on, Unlaced podcast. It's actually not bad. <laughs> it's really good, bro. Well done. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I'm going to cut that again, use that as a tagline for the show. <laughs> that is awesome, bro. <laughs>